I felt the need to preface just about everything I say was, well, in the first service I mentioned, of course, everything I'm going to mention right now, I mentioned in the first service. So we'll just get that out there right now. Um, great to be with you. Super excited to come up and preach, uh, teach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't really consider myself a preacher. I am a teacher, uh, not by vocation, but over there at the Kingdom Kids about two times a month, maybe three if there's a fifth Sunday. Um, Nicole, by the way, if you're in here, doing an amazing job shepherding the part, department that I'm a part of, and I want to give you credit for that. And the video and the kids, watching them do that, just get their hands in there. Fascinating and fun. Uh, I've got some that are going to benefit from that. We'll get to that. Um, but I do teach over there. Uh, one of my favorite experiences in that whole experience, and if your kids are over there, um, I don't know if this was your kid. <laughs> if it is, I love them to death. Uh, I haven't seen you in a while. Um, but the, uh, I was in there one time, and we have some monitors around the room, right, help crowd control. Do a great job. And I'm sometimes dispatching people, hey, like, tell them, get up, sit down, whatever. Um, but this one time I asked a question. I was going out in the crowd, and I was like, I was going to talk to a kid. And, and, uh, and it was a pretty simple question. And uh, I just said, hey, buddy, you know, what, what's your experience been with that? You know, whatever. He looked at me for a while. It was probably 20 seconds. I was kind of down. I was probably from here to the mic from him. And he looked at me and kind of got a strange look on his face. And he let out the biggest burp I have ever heard. I mean, it was like, just get away. Are you kidding? And, uh, and I looked around, and I think Estelle and some other of the crowd monitors were in the, her service, and they were just like looking at me going, I remember that. Because they were like eyes this big, and I'm just like, okay, all right, we'll get through this. Of course, the kids disrupted and laughed, and I was like, we got through it. Uh, but I have five of my own. That's them, the blended family. Uh, we've told the story before, but uh, those of you that, that haven't heard, uh, we have an adopted blended family through the foster care system here in Texas, and uh, we have wound up with this, this permanency. If you're a foster parent or aspire to one, know that permanency is kind of an issue. You, know, you don't know if you're going to get to keep the kid. You kind of go back and forth. That's one of the heartbreaking things, but uh, this is what we've wound up with. And uh, So love them to death. The tall kid in the middle is our uh, only biological child, Jack. The rest of ours are actually going through the process uh, of adopting uh, formally uh, Trent, our nephew that's uh, next to Jack there with his arm around him, and then Jonah on Stacy's hip. We're uh, finalizing them right now. And then Ellie and Raina are uh, biological sisters. Even they don't look like they are. <clears throat> and so they came to us at two and three. Jonah came at two days. So that's the family. We've been, uh, and my wife Stacy does an amazing job homeschooling um, and uh, managing that whole crazy house day in, day out. So that's an old picture, by the way. She's not here. Stacy isn't. And husbands, if you've ever showed an old picture, does your wife just go nuts? She's like, they don't look like that anymore. Well, they don't, but it's the only one I can find <laughs> and get to you in time. Um, so we, uh, we've been here probably about three or four years at uh, Christ Fellowship. Uh, I've been in Fort Worth about, about a year, maybe longer than that. We church hunted for a little bit as we were transitioning into a new career. Uh, talk about that in a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, it, this church has been transformative in a, in a, in a number, number of ways. Um, um, and, I, and, and a lot of that builds up over time, you know, in terms of just wanting to share with people. And some of it you get to share in a life group setting, and some of it you don't. So God, I'm super grateful and honored to be here to be able to kind of tell you our experience, and not just with the church, but um, kind of ministry in our life in Fort Worth since we've been here, uh, and a lot leading up to that. So 
We're going to get into all that today. I tend to talk a little fast, just in, in general. I'm in sales, and I'm always feeling like I just got to get it out. And um, but there's a lot to cover, so we'll dive into this uh, in just a second. But um, and I'll give you a little taste. One of the things we're going to, well, the thing we're going to talk about, and they seem disparate and a little bit different, but we're going to kind of package really what it means if Christ has really done it all in our lives. Okay, we're going to talk about what what does that really mean scripturally kind of camp out in the middle a bit about what's our response to that. If he's really done it all at at Calvary and the cross and and, and paid for our sins and all the things associated with that, we'll look in Colossians and unpackage that a little bit, then what does it mean for us? Okay? And then over here, if one of those responses is going to lead us to community, okay? And we're going to make that tie through our ability to hear God and to listen to him especially during times of recovery after traumatic experiences, okay? And we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about things kind of from a soldier's perspective, okay? And I'll I'll provide the basis for that in a second. And it's actually a pretty timely message, too, because about five or six years ago, I was uh, in Colorado hiking with my in-laws, and my father-in-law is not a believer. And um, we have a great man, love him to death, but we... uh, I was in bed that morning praying just about the day and what's going on. And I asked God just for a clear word that day. Okay, just to, God, what do you have for me? I want to hear from you clearly today and, and, and act accordingly. And, um, and as we were, no sooner had I prayed that, really we got dressed and got on the trail and we're walking. He's in front of me. And, and I really had this vision of, uh, like I said, I'm in sales. And it was almost like I'm, if I'm if, in evangelism, I almost feel like I have something to sell. Okay, and that's not, a, that's not an attempt to cheapen evangelism and our, our duty, duties as Christian to get the word out and, and fulfill the Great Commission at all. But, but in a good way, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to talk to people and, and, and not convince them, but to relay information and hope for change, right, and to bring them, hey, man, this is really great. And so, but if I've never, but I'm trying to sell something that I've never experienced from an eternal life standpoint. Yes, I know we bring eternal life into the here and now. I know that, okay, but I've never been dead. I've never seen Jesus. Face to face, I haven't seen the white light. God forbid, I won't before I leave. But if I actually hope I do and come back to tell about it, um, I stand corrected. But, but I'm, I'm, but I'm also talking about, hey, come into the body of Christ because we have this great thing waiting for you. It's called immortality. It's called life of Christ ever after. And people have a very hard time. It's very uh, ethereal. It's very uh, okay. I'm there with you. I'd like to not just be dead and that's it. Okay. But but my, what I wrestled with was what are the benefits of Christianity today? And that's what this series is all about. It's about more of everyday life, more of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. And I'm an everyday life kind of guy. I'm a lay minister. I mean, it's what I do. I sell insurance and office full of 60 people, and I'm in front of clients all day. And man, I have horrible days and win accounts, lose accounts. I mean, it's the whole it's the whole grand experience, right? But how do I bring the Holy Spirit into, into my practice? And how do I bring it in the life of my family on a daily basis? What are the benefits of Christianity? Not just immortality, but mortality, right? And everybody wants to know that. And we're going to camp out there. Probably the majority of our times we're going to camp today, it's, it's going to be what, what, what's been my experience in terms of traumatic episodes and how did com, com, community, what role did community play in recovery with respect to what I've gone through, okay? which has helped me. I'm not dead. I'm here. And so... What, what, and how has that helped me right now? And, um, and a shout-out to this church body, okay? And, I, and I'm, I'm loving it if you're a guest. And if you are, I want you to know this. This church body um, has done uh, so much in my life and my family's life to, to bring a sense of community into our everyday life. And, uh, and we do it through life groups in this church. It's the time to get out of the church and kind of get out in the community and really dive deep with, with fellow believers. But, 
in churches, that concept is not new. Churches preach that all day long. But, but uh, I was visiting with Paul after, uh, after the first service, and I think our church, when you come through that door, it's like we really want people uh, to be real, and we're going to be real. And this, in, in the concept of recovering and finding a home to kind of take those hidden hurts and wants and, and, and problems in your life, and everybody's got them. I do. And to take that and, and, and have a safe place where you can see that thing kind of open up and people, you know, go, OK, I, that's a safe place. I think I'll step there. This is something I've hidden. But, man, I feel safe to share that. And um, that's a God thing. It's not because we're so convincing and, and selling you on how comfortable we are. But, but the church, but because I think we kind of march a little bit in unison down that road, it does become a safe place. And people can, can find hope and recovery. And Aaron, every time he plays Restoration or Jonathan or, you know, Anytime I hear that song, I just break down because I'm it's, it's my story. It's our story as believers. But I think it speaks to everybody. And I'm looking around. and I hear that. And it's just it's so powerful. So quick bio on on us as a family, me as a person, uh, grew up in East Texas, um, native Texan and uh, successful attorney, father and accomplished uh, educator, mother and uh, saved by my father when I was seven years old. Marched through a little bit uneventfully up until I was about uh, 12 when driving home from Chili's one night uh, with my sister. I have one older sister. My mother and my dad in the car, he announced that they were getting a divorce. No idea. And knew what it was, but had no idea why we were going to have to experience that. Um, turns out years later, my, dad, my father struggled with infidelity and uh, brought the end of their marriage. Uh, shortly after that time, we pulled away from this house we were living in and my family years, kind of your idyllic childhood Certainly became different and weird and real. Moved in town. I chose to stay with my mother. I don't know how all that worked, but I did. And um, father, uh, my sister stayed with my father. Went through a horrible time of angst. And uh, I was a preteen, 12. Those of you who had 12-year-olds and teenagers and stuff, it's just such a formative time. Uh, middle school can be cruel. And, um, and, and I was trying to come to terms with my identity. And so my mom quickly decided she didn't want to be in a small town to be Known as an ex-wife of a successful attorney uh, the rest of her life. Don't blame her. And so I found out in DFW Airport in 1987 or 6, as we were going out to see my aunt in Arizona, that we were actually moving. (laughs) So um, ripped out from everything I knew and went over to start new in in Arizona with her. She was a little, she she did, it it was a, again, transformative, word of the day, year for me in a lot of ways, but it's a year as far as my testimony when I'm putting a stake in the ground saying this is when it became real to me. We all, need a, we all need a real to own our faith, right? We all need to own our faith and not, if you're living off the coattails of, 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 of the preacher or your parents, you're, you're, you're going to find yourself not holding on the coattails very, very long in term, times in life. So it became real to me. And uh, my mother wound up having a very, very, uh, just a dog, she's just a, a fighter, man. I mean, Came up and into that, got in, back at education, started working again after being a housewife for many, many years and became an accomplished educator, principal of the largest high school in southern Arizona. She's about, despite my 6'4ness, she's about five foot tall, just a pistol. And um, still don't know how she did it, but she's, uh, she did. And so, um, but all that to say out there, I can remember just owning that, owning my faith when you're, when you have nothing, okay? And, um, Johnny Carson would be on TV at night. I remember praying every night, turn him down while I'd get back in my waterbed. Remember waterbeds? Lay in that thing. Does, does anybody have a waterbed in this congregation? Yes! Good job. 
I had the good one, too. It wasn't just a big bladder. It was individual ones, so it kind of felt like a bed. But, oh, my God, I need to get one. I need to get one, right? <laughs> Stacy's not here. She's going to love that when I have it waiting for her. She gets back. Um, lay back in that thing and pray and fall asleep every night. And then I'd wake up about 2 in the morning because I fell asleep during my prayer uh, to the, just the snow on the TV. And I'd literally go push the button and turn the TV off. Um, and... But, but it owned my faith, man, and, and I, I truly did because I had nothing else going on. And so that experience I carried back to me with, uh, um, with just myself back to, to East Texas to start my high school years, left my mother in Arizona, hardest decision of my life, chose to live with my father during, um, during high school. Uh, sports played a big part in that, as shallow as that is. Um, had some pressure to come back and play sports, which I did, and, and uh, you know, didn't really go anywhere with that but, that, but but it was a big driving factor. And so um, one of the things, the first, one of the first times I ever remember really hearing from God, okay, um, and I didn't grow up in a, in a hand-raising uh, Bible, you know, church of believers like us. I grew up in the Baptist church, which, you know, slam on them. I was a great doctrine and foundation, but it was a lot more formal, as you all know, and, and um, provided a great foundation, but I wasn't used to really hearing from God. I hadn't been trained to do that. I mean, what we're doing these kids and being active and hands and feet, it was foreign to me. Um, But I was owning my faith at that point. So opening my closet door one day in my room, I was a freshman in high school maybe. Dad played football at Baylor and had this Baylor bear wooden statue holding a teddy bear. And I had it for 16 years. I don't know why I had it. I never put it in my room. It was kind of a kid thing, you know, and... Uh, but I had it top of the the, uh, the closet, and that thing came tumbling down for whatever reason. And when it hit the ground, that bear separated from that the hand of that little thing holding it. It was probably glued on or something. But I had it for 16 years and dropped it. No, that never happened. But and granted, that that could happen, and it's just go down the road. And, and I miss a lot of stuff in life that doesn't mean anything to me. But when something means something, and you remember it, I'm 41 years old now, and I'll tell you that when that thing shattered and hit off his hand, the hand was still intact, and that thing was sitting there, and it just. I feel as clear as I ever heard God, grow up. It's time for you to grow up. Uh, because I had come back to Texas and kind of dipped down again, hanging out with my sister's senior friends and doing stupid stuff and just being a knucklehead. And, but, um, but, but, but the choice and, and really my experience with community saved my life because I was, I was, in, a long, I was, I was in a bad way and in a very formative time of life, and I didn't have a lot of what I see in community, you know, with, with, with how the, the, the families in the church are raising their kids. They're not perfect, but, dadgummit, they, they, really, they really pray. <laughs> Let's just face it. They pray hard, and, and, and there's an effect of that. Um, but I was, I was living with a, a single dad through high school that was dating more than I was. After he divorced my mom, we've subsequently been married about six more times. Um, between my wife and I, his immediate family, there have been 13 marriages. And so, <laughs> been a lot of stuff. She's got some on her side too. And so we're—that's our story. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to work against uh, in our immediate family. Um, but but I got involved in a youth group in, late in high school. Some friends invited me to this rinky-dink. wasn't affiliated with anything other than two people. A couple just said we're going to have some teenagers in our home and open the Word of God. It wasn't earth-shattering, but but those teenager those those friends that invited me, I knew early on when I was laying that foundation who I'd abandoned came back and my walk is just it's just you know instead of this it would just became a let's go let's go forward and so um led me to college with texas a&m and i knew i was going to get one knew it um and uh got out wound up in the caribbean doing mission work working for the baptist church um 
turned out I didn't go down to do this, but I started getting into construction, rebuilding people's houses after hurricanes. And uh, came back uh, from that experience um, and married my college sweetheart. God put marriage on my heart, and there's a whole story over there. We're not going there today. don't have time. But um, settled down into a, a, a 12-year career of construction. Uh, half of that was owning my own business, and, um, and we'll get some more of that in the, in the future. I shut that down. Um, it shut itself down, let's just be honest, um, about uh, five, six years ago, and I started a career in commercial insurance, which is what I do now. And I absolutely love it. I really do. Um, so, so and, I, and now I'm married, okay? So how does a couple hear from the Lord, right? How do, how do you as a couple now, I've been hearing from God, getting pretty good at that over the course of getting back in favor with him, but how do you start hearing from the Lord, Right. Um, as a couple and singles, it may, you know, I look over here cause a lot are singles, but it's like those of you that, that are, it seems a little bit ostensibly that that's a little bit easier to do, right? Because it's me and God, but Proverbs talks about the, the council of many advisors plan succeed in the absence. They don't. Okay. My wife, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. God speaks powerfully through her and, and I'm, I'm fine to feed off that it used to be kind of an affront. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a born again believer that really came back to God during the era of the promise keepers movement where strong men were leading families and doing all sorts of stuff. Right. And you carry that mantle. Those of you know what I'm talking about. And I did, man, I read every book that was out there as a college man that had no experience in perspective to put that in. Right. And I was like, what? love it. You know, I was in a men's Christian fraternity. We'd read the books. Like, yes, love it. Then we'd, we don't do anything with it. Right. I'm like, but you know what? We'll get to this. I just I kind of tucked it away. I was like, okay, let's put that there. That'll be good someday. Um, but I, so the, the mantle of strong men leadership is great. And I, and I, but so I had to come to terms with my wife. God's speaking really powerfully through her. And he, she, he really did and, and does. Uh, and guys, you can probably identify with this. And I don't want to hear some whoops if you can. Um, my wife reads, she's the book. I, I read books, don't get me wrong. But she's the spiritual, nice Really good books about disciplined parenting. Now, I've read my share, but I kind of got read out, I guess, of that stuff. But I'm an easy sell. I guess salesmen are. I'm a really easy sell. And she's very convincing. So she'll read a book and go, hey, this is what it's talking about. Maybe read these couple pages. I'm, I'm sold. I'm like, yes, we need to do that. You know, discipline with, you know, in, in love mixed together. Yes. I mean, so I'm fine hearing from her. And, she's, and, and one of the things to transition into the main point of this thing has been... You know, God speaking through her and, 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 and confirming in my heart, not only to do foster care, which, which she let out in that uh, through some books and God working in our life and, uh, and, some, and for t- some fertility issues we had. But our, when we moved to Fort Worth, um, we needed a place to live. Rented a house or two, um, bounced around like, what are we doing? Brand new to this city. And she was in this um, uh, church one, one day about four years ago and, and heard from the Lord, go look at this uh, house that Max is building. Well, Max was a soon-to-be uh, relative of ours um, who was finishing this house out himself right off of Lancaster, off I-30, just east of downtown, probably five minutes from downtown, um, right off Lancaster, which is Lancaster. And it's not the good part of Lancaster, right? Um, and, uh, and like most uh, women, my wife loves security, right? Love safety. We got five little ones, and um, she led out after looking at the house and said, "We were supposed to buy this house." Mind you, the house had homeless people squatting in it, had raccoon droppings everywhere, no plumbing, no piping, no sheetrock, a few windows upstairs, no paint, hardly no siding. I mean, I'm just 
But I was a builder, right? I built homes for a living. And um, it didn't really scare me, but I just like, what? And so uh, that began a process to, um, to move into this home. And I'm going to get to the, the countercultural aspects of that in a second. Um, but one of the things, as we dive into this, and, and, and the main thing that I want to talk about, the Holy Spirit, as our guide, is our guide in navigating this world. And through his final work on the cross and community, he provides a constant means of encouragement and recovery. Okay? So that brings the, that brings the, the everyday life of this, you know, more in everyday life, Holy Spirit experience into what we're doing. Because we need him as our guide, okay? But through his final work on the cross, it frees us up to not have the pressure of performance and obligation, but just to simply respond to him, okay? What is that, and what does that response look like? Let's look in... Um, Let's look in Colossians, if you'll turn with me to, uh, I believe it's Colossians 1, excuse me, 1, 13 through 20. Part of what, what I want to frame is, is what does the final work mean? What, what, what do you mean he did it all? What does that mean? Well, read this. Uh, I'll read it, and let's stand it. I want to honor God's word as we've had a tradition of doing it. When I'm through, I'm going to say this is the word of God, and I just want you to repeat, thanks be to God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. I love that phrase. They just hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He did it all at Calvary. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. There's really no mistaking. He did it all. He created it all. He reconciled it all. He holds it together. He's done it all. So my question really is, what is our response? Okay? If he's done it all, yeah, I'm to give, I'm to give thanks. Thank you. That's a big deal, right? Somebody gives you that big of a gift. And anybody, and if we get a gift, I mean, tell our kids all the time. Somebody gives you something, and hopefully I don't have to prompt them. They're getting old enough. But it's like, thank you. Thank you. So it's just living in a posture of thankfulness, right? In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, um, for it's by grace, by grace we've been saved. And that's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works that no man, no man could boast. The first part of, of what we're talking about here in my life personally, this is kind of a personal testimony, get to know Ross Better's sermon, that, that, that should be applicable in some measure, right? But I, have a, I struggle with performance. I do. I'm highly competitive. And I struggle with feelings as well. I'm a highly emotional person. I really am. I can admit that now. I just I think about things and I feel. And forever I tried to, to stuff my feelings, which are the product of something. And somebody could explain that better. But I tried to stuff them in my, my daily walk about, oh, I don't feel that. I'm not going to do it. Or I don't feel that that way God must not be present. Well, God, I'm telling you here, church, God's present whether I feel it or not. He's, he, he's there by my spoken word, prayer is just agreeing with him that, yes, I want you healed from cancer. I just agree with God that we want that to happen. It's just, I'm agreeing with you. Um, I, the pressure isn't on me anymore. It's, it's freed me up from that obligation and performance. 
And just being thankful. Thank you, you've done it all. So you don't need my feelings to help wrap up this prayer with a nice bow and have everything right um, in time before the kids come down and run across and scream and jump on it, right? I mean, you're good, God, right? You're good. You're enthroned. You're not going to be shaken. So what, what, what does that thankfulness lead me to then? Okay, I'm still not through. I'm like, I'm thankful. Okay. So then my response is, if you've really done it all, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to what you want me to do. And, and, and out of that listening, and it comes in a variety of ways. It comes from you guys, encouragement, saying, hey, man, I get, I, word from the Lord. I love words from the Lord. I didn't grow up in a church that had words from the Lord. Man, I love them. I love them. I want to get better at giving them. I love receiving them. Um, his word, reading my word, his, his Bible, the scripture, and going, okay, I, I hear this is what we're supposed to do. But it's that listening Okay, in this church, I think, again, if we're marching lockstep in any direction, I think that we really do as a church body just want to respond to what God's doing. We're not afraid of the crazy. We're not afraid of the crazy. Um, You know, so many churches, you know, are are weird when they're supposed to be normal and normal when they're supposed to be weird. You know, Um, but I think there's a balance. I really do. That's why it's been our church home. Right. But I'm to listen. I'm to listen. I believe we have a verse to go with that, don't we? And I might have already talked about it. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him. There's the listening part. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. We talked about that, too. That's that whole part of Colossians. Love that part. God's over all that, and he, he dwells in me with his Holy Spirit. I have the ability to hear from him. He lives here. Okay? And I've had to get good over the last 41 years or 34 years, however long I've known the Lord, of getting good and unpackaging that in my life. And, and we all do, right? But that's, where, that's the listening component. So, the transition really to, to recovering community from where we are right now. The, um, the, we all experience traumatic episodes. Uh, we, um, personal trauma for us that, that, that I think is relevant and relative to, to the discussion really centers around the fact that uh, my business did kind of shut itself down. It forced me to shut it down. So I, I grew up in a successful home, middle to upper class. Uh, father paid for my education, told me he loved me. Uh, that's not my story. My dad loved on me, very affectionate, um, godly man, I think, and just but um, had, had issues, obviously, we talked about it. But, I, um, but, but, but having been raised up in that, had the foundation there, of community that really at one point saved my life with, with those, with those friends. Um, and having listened, having, having developed through that experience, ability to listen to God, um, we branched off, started a business in East Texas and, and, and what drove us here, we were rewinding a second. What drove us here was the complete implosion of that business. Okay. So financially, um, it was, a, it was an absolute nuclear bomb. I built a lot of high-end inventory homes, that, meaning spec homes, which means they'd have no buyer. You hope they get a buyer. Uh, I was a young 30-year-old with millions of dollars in loans because people just thought I was a great guy. I was in a regional market and just made sense in 05. It didn't make so much sense in 07. Um, but when it did make sense, um, just talk about, you know, riverboat gambling this thing down the road and, and – we, uh, we did, and it was great at first, and then it came to a crashing halt. And so we battled and battled and battled and battled and battled to save that thing. Um, and, and the money, it was just astronomical. So 
uh, we, were, we, uh, we tapped family resources. We tapped as much as we could to save this thing. And uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, about uh, six years ago, uh, we declared complete bankruptcy, personal, corporate. Um, those of you who don't know much about bankruptcy, you, you somewhat have to prove your case for a Chapter 7, which is a complete liquidation. I walked in the attorney's office, and he asked a few questions, and it was a very short meeting. <laughs> and um, he was like, you don't have anything. I was like, I know. I don't have anything. And, and so... Um, I didn't have enough money to buy McDonald's. Um, family's growing. I, we literally had to walk away from McDonald's one time because we didn't have enough money um, after ordering. Um, couldn't afford gas to start my new career to get up to Dallas, which I commuted for two years. Um, I couldn't even start the car. I had no gas and sold a shotgun to buy gas one morning. I mean, those, are, those are things that you just don't forget, right? The trauma that ensued from that really affected my marriage. Uh, Stacy. True to her nature, stood beside me and encouraged me, but also confessed at times she was very bitter because I was out trying to set the world on fire and do my thing. And, um, you know, I was a believer, just walking with the Lord. It wasn't that we were away from the Lord, but just taking a business risk. And, um, and this has become a cru- it was and, and, and became a crucible for God to refine us. And I knew that. I could even tell you during the time. I just prayed every day that it would stop not knowing when it would and knowing that at the end of it, if it did stop, it doesn't even stop with bankruptcy that you have to, you have holes to fill. I gave people my word. Um, I was written up in the legal news in a small town, which any of you that never lived in a small town, you don't want to be in the legal news in a small town. Um, I was involved in the community and I completely pulled back from that. Um, restoration song talks about, you know, covered my shame. And I mean, it was shame. I dealt with shame and pride issues. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, um, it's, it's a mark that we've worn and, and, and led us to what we're doing. And so when we talk in a second about community and the effect of, of, of community and helping recover from a traumatic experience, I, that, that, that's, my, that's my story. Okay? And that's, that's, that's how I can, when I read this article that I'm going to quote in a second, that's where I really was able to tie the two together and go, I see how community can help with that. I had friends that reached out to me, and I've been there. Great. That's a great thing. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Even the ones that didn't. Count on my hand, those guys in, in, in life, not even a formal life group, but those guys in life that I would just call and, and pour into, and some of which dated back to high school and those relationships, and they're like, man, I'm praying for you, I'm, you know, and I'm just here. And uh, sometimes that's all we needed. But, but we began, I began to, to, to you know, for, for God to shatter those pride walls, and that thing opened up to, you know, go to certain people. Yeah, he's a safe place. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about this. Um, hey, this is these guys. And so pretty soon, that's just an opening up. And I was honest with my wife and about understanding where she was at that point. We worked through that and um, getting you know past bitterness and trying to find a way out. But uh, we're not the only ones to to uh, to deal with traumatic experiences. One of the most extreme uh, examples of trauma, as we all know all too well, since 2001, has been our military and our fighting men and women. Right. And the, the, the traumatic experiences they experience, uh, and I was always thankful through my experiences to, to really be in a position of, uh, of health and of, of having parents alive and, and kids healthy. And, I mean, people got, these things come in different ways, right? And, um, and I was always thankful for that. But, but realizing, uh, by the way, I went to the Caribbean to do mission work because the military wouldn't except me as a pilot, which they did at first, and then right before officer candidate school, they failed me because my eyesight wasn't good enough. Um, so I always had this desire to serve. So maybe that's why this article I read in a secular publication about a month ago as I was preparing to talk, and what am I, how are we going to tie this together? 
It just spoke to me because I was like, I understand the soldier's mindset, you know. Not just from, hey, I've been in, and I'm not about to say, man, I had a failed business and, oh, you saw your buddy get killed that you went through basic training with. Man, I'm with you. I'm with you, you know. No, that's not what it's about, but it's, it's my way of relating the story. But also, and this is important, and this is where we're really going to go with this. The, the reason, and we're going to hear some quotes in a second from some people smarter than me, but the reason that people have such a hard time recovering out of those episodes is that they experience, and put your, put your soldier head on for a while, okay? We'll, we'll put our Christian head on in a second. But, but, but they're, 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 they're in a foxhole. They're, in, they're, they're driving a, they're a drone pilot. They're a support crew back here, a, a medic. They're at a computer. The rates for PTSD among our active service members there's really, what, there's really no difference in the percentages versus active duty versus non. One of the main reasons is because the military is one of the smartest institutions in the world. They can test, and they're elite soldiers. They're not just elite because they can shoot a bullseye at 500 yards or they're strong and can run a mile in under six minutes. They're very smart because they also understand emotionally what makes an elite soldier. So even your frontline guys sometimes have even less instances of PTSD that see this stuff uh, because of, of how they're tested. That's an elite soldier, right? So, but, the, but the percentages, it kind of balances everything out. So you've got a support guy going, man, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't exist. I'm back home now, and it just doesn't make any sense to me, right? So, so how, do we, how do we draw from a soldier's experience and trauma and relate it back to integration and community, and how does that affect a Christian in their daily walk? The, um, Dr. Rachel Yahuda is her name. She's with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. She has a couple of interesting quotes. Here's what she had to say. For most people in combat, their experiences range from the best to the worst of times. It's the most important thing someone has ever done, especially since these people are so young when they go in, and it's probably the first time they've ever been free, completely free of their societal constraints. They're going to miss being entrenched in this very important and defining world. Okay, they got purpose, right? Over here, I got purpose. I don't want to do it. I got a mission, right? American combat deaths have dropped steadily while trauma and disability claims have continued to rise. That makes sense, doesn't it? Even the, four, the first Gulf War, which lasted only 100 hours, produced nearly twice the disability rates of World War II. Nearly twice. 100-hour war. They return from wars that are safer than those their fathers and grandfathers fought, and yet far greater numbers of them wind up alienated and depressed. This is true even for people who didn't experience combat. In other words, the problem doesn't seem to be trauma on the battlefield as much as reentry back into society. Anthropological research from around the world shows that recovery from war is heavily influenced by the society one's returned to, and there are societies that make that process relatively easy. We'll look at a couple. Ethnographic studies on hunter-gatherer societies rarely turn up evidence of chronic PTSD among their warriors, for example, and oral histories of Native American warfare con- consistently fail to mention psychological trauma. Anthropologists and oral historians weren't expressly looking for PTSD when they studied these people, but the high frequency of warfare in these groups makes the scarcity of any mention of PTSD worth mentioning. Even the Israeli military, with mandatory national service and two generations of intermittent warfare, has by some measures a PTSD rate as low as 1%. Either way, it makes one wonder exactly what is meant what, is it, what it is about modern society that is so mortally dispiriting to come home to. Last little quote for now. Personal interest 
is subsumed into group interest because personal survival is not possible without group survival. Put your Christian hat on for a second. It's not at all surprising that many soldiers respond to combat in positive ways and miss it when it's gone. They say that other traumatic episodes that are completely bad, you pull anyone down. Okay? There's nothing good about certain traumatic episodes people go through, right? But what they're saying is a lot of times people have a hard time disassociating and completely separating the two because you've got camaraderie and foxhole mentality in horrible tragedy mixed all in one, and everybody's back home in America, and they find something missing in their life, and they're trying to grab back and get that again, right? They can't break. Can't break. There are obvious psychological stresses on a person in a group, but there are maybe even more greater stresses on a person in isolation. Most higher primates, including humans, this was kind of a this is the secular part, are intensely social, and they are, there are few examples of individuals surviving outside of a group. We talk about it all the time, and this is non-Christian, secular American scientists confirming it. We weren't meant to walk alone. A modern soldier returning from combat goes from the kind of close-knit situations. Back to a society where most people work from outside the home. Children are educated by strangers. Families are isolated from wider communities. Personal gain almost completely eclipses collective good. Belonging to a large... And people sleep alone or with a partner. Even if he or she is in a family, that is not the same as belonging to a large, self-sufficient group that shares and experiences almost everything collectively. Right? So even a loving family sometimes doesn't help to to bring people out of these, these traumatic experiences. Community in our life was pretty intentional when we moved to Fort Worth. We, uh, I dropped off the house story a second ago, and I'm going to return there. So we built this house and moved in. My family was very diverse, as you see. If you know anything about Fort Worth, uh, East Lancaster is very diverse, to, 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 to say it mildly. So um, we decided, after many conversations and prayer, that God had really spoken to Stacy, and this was the direction we are going to take our family. Uh, I had a conversation with Randy Brown uh, early on about their life in Como and what they did, and um, these communities are very different, but 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 probably uh, uh, equally as, as diverse, I guess. Um, and so we moved in there, knowing some obvious risks and dangers and things, and we don't look like people. And um, but it's been it's been fun. It's been interesting. Matter of fact, I'm going to share a quick story with you. I uh, was on a quick little trip with my wife and uh, texted a babysitter who had um, graciously agreed to. Uh, Babysit. Not that she may not ever again. But this is me. And I just remembered. I'm like, we get a lot of visitors to the house, and it freaks a lot of people out sometimes. Uh, we've been there almost two years. Okay, Mr. Her- I said to her, if Mr. Harold comes by, older-looking, older, deaf, black man comes by later wanting to work, you can let him clean Stacy's car inside and mine too. I've got a guy that comes by that I'll let do that. First, he wants... he. Needs money. I usually give him ten to fifteen dollars. If he cleans both, I would give him fifteen or twenty. If you have it, I will pay you back. He can use the shop back. Blah 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 blah. She says he's come by. He's come by twice already. Freaked me out. She just graduated from college. I watched too many crime shows. Gave him a granola bar and a cup of cereal yesterday. He asked for three fifty because his wife was in the hospital and Josh, her boyfriend, told him that we didn't have cash. Now I feel bad. If he comes back today, I'll make it right and I'll let him clean your cars. I'm like. Here's my response. So sorry. He usually comes on Sundays. I would, have, I would have warned you. He's harmless, but he freaked my mom out too before once. 
Or if you want, just tell him to come back after I get back either way. Then she says, okay. Another guy came by asking for you. He was white, middle-aged, with a lot of tattoos. Um, that's, and I said, that's probably DJ. The kids will know. Just tell any and everyone I'll be back soon. They don't need anything from you. I can handle it later when I get back. Um, and if it is, we have some, the word nefarious comes to mind. But, but there's, you know, we try to put some obstacles and some things here. But it's one of those communities where you really have to, um, you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's, it's allowed us to experience life on a greater level. But I'm telling you right now, our, our mission there, back to our soldier, now we've got our soldier head on again. Well, we live missionally there. That's one reason we went. I want my kids to feel more accepted, but we also had a, a beachhead mentality, much like CF. His and right where we're at right now in Fort Worth is a beachhead. We've talked about that. But how I live missionally in that community is very different than how I live in community with the church and our life group. Now, the goal is to kind of blend those two things, right? It's like, yeah, we're working missionally here with people that don't know that have the slightest clue what we're talking about that have. Talk about traumatic episodes. And if it's DJ, serious, serious stuff. And he and I have talked about it. Um, and, but how do I blend those two things together? And that's kind of where we're at with community. And, 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 and because when you talk about recovery from trauma and healing, we encounter it on a daily basis when we're over there. Um, we just do. Um, and I'm not getting all the examples, but it, it, it's prevalent. It's around us all the time. Um, Whatever the technological advances of modern society, and they're nearly miraculous, the individual lifestyles that those technologies spawn may be deeply brutalizing to the human spirit. Come in, work, open the garage door, drive a car in, shut the car, turn it off, go inside. I mean, um, I grew up that way, okay? I wound up, I'm okay, I did, but, but it's just... Um, it's hard. Isolation is hard, not just it's hard in growth to, to grow as a Christian in isolation, but it's also hard to to recover and to use community. And again, we're talking about benefits of Christianity today and every day. It's hard to use community for what it was intended to, to help people recover. Right. It just is because so many of us, whether you're introverted or an extroverted, you, back to that field, you hold on to that so tight and it's just and getting people and providing just a safe place. If nothing, if we're nothing but a safe place for people to come in and go, I'm going to give a little bit of this out because I, I just can't take it on my own. I mean, those are the kind of conversations I want here. I definitely want them in life group, but I want them out there. People come in or, or after church, after ministry time. I want that conversation to say, hey, I'm going to give you a little part right here because I'm, I'm really hurting. Um, if all we are is a safe place to do that, praise Jesus. Praise Him. Right? The, um, I, I don't mean to bash on America. I really don't. I love our country. I'm not getting political. But the, um, our society has a lot to do with it. I think our affluence has a lot to do with it. Okay? I really do. Um, American Indians. So they... Uh, uh, the same principle exists here. So Quanta Parker, anybody heard of Quanta Parker? Quanta, Texas. So he was a famous Comanche chief born uh, to a white mother and a Comanche father. And he um, went on to lead the Comanche nation. Um, and his mother was uh, born into a white family, was kidnapped, and then later returned or rescued, and she went right back. Why don't you go back? An 18th century historian wrote, thousands of Europeans are Indians. And we have no examples of even one of those Aborigines having from choice become a European. It was a one-way street back then. 
Not once did you get an Indian that, 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 that wanted to stay. They, they, I mean, so what was so, what was so pulling in that culture? Well, it's what we're talking about. Warring tribes typically have a common bond. They're involved in the battlefield. You know, you've got a bunch of warriors over there that are out setting the world on fire. Yeah, it's a little bit dangerous. Absolutely it is. Um, but they're setting the world on fire, and they've got this common experience and shared experience. I remember on a – let's bring it home. I remember on a mission trip, we went down in a hard part of Matamoros before the cartel stuff got really bad, and we took our son, and we were out in this orphanage building a big pig – a roof over a huge pig barn and leading a team of doctors and stuff. And, man, those are the most binding experiences you can imagine um, when you're doing something like that out there. Um, but, but you're part of something great. And, and all too often, I think, in our society, that doesn't quite happen. Um, one could say that combat vets are the white Indians of today, that they, they missed the war because it was finally an experience of human closeness that they can't easily find back home. Not the closeness of family, which is rare enough. We're not going to take it granted for the, 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 the value of a healthy family. Don't, hear, don't get me wrong. But not the closeness of family, which is rare enough, but the closeness of community and tribe. It's the first time this article they ever mentioned the word community. I underlined it. Last quote here. In effect, humans have dragged a body with a long hominid history into an overfed, malnourished, sedentary, sunlight-deficient, sleep-deprived, competitive, inequitable, and socially isolating environment with dire consequences. So we've lost a sense of mission at some point as a society, okay? Um, and I think a lot of times bringing people back into that society uh, or into a church that doesn't really get community doesn't serve its purpose because true community helps healing. It helps people. I found healing here. I found people that I could sit up with and, and without fear of reprisal and shame and share a story about being completely broke. I mean, broke um, and struggling through that without fear of judgment. I mean, that's a that's a safe place. I mean, we're not I, I may not be here, but I mean, we're here. Right. And you guys have made it. He's made it that way through you. Last thing about this, and we're going to wrap it up. The um, part of the, the problem, too, and this gets back to purpose of what we're doing. One of the reasons they feel that soldiers in America have struggled so much since the Gulf War is that they lack purpose in their mission. They use, by example, the soldiers competing, competing, fighting for, uh, for Israel during the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And uh, this is what one of their researchers found. He said, the perceived legitimacy of a war was more important to soldiers. Listen to this. Was more important to soldiers the legitimacy was than the combat readiness of the unit they were in. Show the video of the kids, right? Earlier. The, the, the legitimacy of what they were doing with those refugee kids was infinitely more important than their combat readiness. The fact that those kids come down there and lead someone down the Roman road, right? I'll take it. I mean, I want them both, but I just want somebody to be real and love on kids and spades. You could see it. And the results speak for themselves. And that legitimacy in turn was a function of the war's physical distance from the homeland. They were in the middle of the battle. The Israelis in the Yom Kippur War, they were abruptly mobilized. Shopkeepers, barbers, just, here's a gun, go. 
They were thrown into, uh, they were evil, uh, abruptly mobilized and thrown into dreadful battles in the middle of, that, uh, of Yom Kippur Day in 1973. They had no doubts about the legitimacy of their war. The author wrote in the Journal of Applied Psychology, he said, many of those soldiers who were fighting in the Golan Heights against the flood of Syrian tanks needed only to look back behind their shoulders, see their homes, and remind themselves that they were fighting for their very survival. I mean, I praise God we don't have it right now. We're not leaving here in a second to go fight somebody. Praise God for that. I'm so thankful. But I'm not talking about war. I'm talking about spiritual battles, okay? And I'm talking about a sense of purpose, being in the battle for goodness, goodness sakes, and realizing that battle doesn't just exist in the West Indies or Afghanistan and Iraq or Thailand in the mission field. It exists in our homes. And you all know that. We're battling against stuff every day. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's just spiritual and you can't get your hands around it. And I'm telling you right now, the battles, the, the battles are real. The war is legitimate. And it, the proximity, we have the proximity issue figured out. The problem is, in, in too many churches, we don't get behind people and provide that um, most often used term, authentic environment for people just to get real and get healing. Um, and and it's, it's what's needed. It's what drives people to the church. It's what drove me back to, to, to Christ when I was in, in late high school. Hmm. One last thing here. I'm going to bring it home. Here we go. You have to be, this is um, the author of the article, last one. You have to be prepared to say that we're not a good society, that we are an anti-human society. Anthropologist Sharon Abramowitz warned, when I tried this theory out on her, the theory about how we, um, how we integrate people. Abramowitz was in a, the Ivory Coast during the start of the Civil War there, in 2002 and experienced firsthand the extreme close bonds created by hardship and danger. We are not good to each other. Our tribalism is about an extremely narrow group of people. Our children, our spouse, maybe our parents. Our society is alienating, technical, cold, and mystifying, and our fundamental desire as human beings is to be close to others. And our society does not allow for that. I'm not that smart. I'm not. I worked hard in school. My wife didn't. I did. I mean, she did great. I had to work hard. I like hearing from people that have just studied stuff. And I love, hearing, I love hearing a secular viewpoint to confirm what we already know. We just label it differently. Okay? But that, that's, my, that's, that's my story. I mean, that, my story is, is one of, of, of using the body of believers to, to, to be made whole. And there's going to be a time, I guarantee you, and it may be today where I'm going to need it again. Because it's coming. You know? It's going to be frustrating when you're in the middle of the battle. I pray every day for God just to relieve me from that because it was so painful you're looking down and, you know, and, the, and, and if all you guys do for me in the future is just when I'm, when, when I'm, when I'm right here, you know, it's just a hand on the shoulder to cause my gaze to do that. I told the kids that over there a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, we, kids, you're, we just want people to do that right there. Just look up. Just crack that gaze up. Because it's, it's, it's down here. It's down here where you stay. And then there you get the whole vicious cycle. But you're going to have a story, too. Don't be afraid to be frustrated. Don't be afraid to be um, mad. At times I was very mad, but we, we got through it, and I just I continually leaned. I mean, just leaned hard at times in the body of Christ, and they, they supported us, they helped us, 